Welcome to the ninth episode of VSDMOL 2022 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always is the Canadian who I'm pretty sure has a video where someone works in the quote-unquote sausage department, Logan Saunders. <laughs> Good evening. Good evening. You know me. If I can find a way to imply that you're a sex pest, oh, I will. The worst part about Kim's dialogue there is that she actually demonstrated the physical motion of herself eating the sausage in the sausage department. I have been quite vocally not on the Kim is a good character train for weeks now, but in Thomas's absence, Kim very much made me laugh this week. Well, I mean, everyone and Frazier are both pretty intense people, so... Kim is the perfect contrast to that within the small group of three. Yeah, she was actually fun ridiculous this week, rather than just eye-rolling ridiculous, which I can work with. Not to mention the crawling, which we'll get to. Oh, yes. <laughs> the Tobias Funke-inspired crawling on her stomach and back. <laughs> we do actually have some housekeeping before we even start the podcast proper, and I don't think it's something you know this, but um, our friends over at Trust Nobody didn't release an episode last week, mainly because two of them had a child last week. What? And Eleka gave birth last Sunday, I think it was, so they didn't release episode 8. They're back now, they've uh, released episode 9 today as of recording, but um, yeah, she uh, she gave birth last week, so congratulations. So Mo Podcasting only has a one-week maternity leave? Oh no, she wasn't back this week. It was just the two lads back this week, but uh, none of them podcasted last week because of the uh, the birth. Oh, they all they all were at the hospital together? Well, I'm assuming two of them were, because one of them's a father. <laughs> Without two of them, they can't really do a podcast, because otherwise it's a monologue. <laughs> Trust one body. It did become Trust No Baby last week. <laughs> For one week only, which I greatly appreciated on the same on the same vein as last week when I was trumpeting the puns for for Vidim. I did appreciate Trust No Baby as the uh, as the pun they used last week. <laughs> baby mole, a baby mullet. How's your week been in Thailand? Forget. I'm trying to think if anything crazy happened. It's really windy today. Not not no. I'll strike that. Not as nowhere near as windy as where you were. <laughs> Um, the weather hasn't been all that great. Today was our first beach day in about three or four days. Um, there was a flash flood warning for the area, but it never came to fruition. We were supposed to experience flash flooding and power outages, but luckily the worst of it was just winds that were about half as strong as what I experienced in Malta. And we, um, when we... Because every couple of weeks we've been renewing our stay at our current hotel. So we've been getting progressively more and more discounts while we've been staying here. So then we were doing one another extension. And I was telling Jan, like, hmm. Because I always, I always correspond by email with the front desk slash the owner. So I thought, hmm, what if I ask if we can upgrade to the, to the best possible room for the same price that we're currently paying for our current room? So we, so I decide, eh, it'll be, it'll be worth the shot. So I email him and I'm like, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. I couldn't help but ask if we can upgrade since we've been here for so long. And the owner said, yeah, you're right. You do miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. So you will be upgraded. So we're upgraded to a room that's about twice as big and uh, has a balcony with a really nice view. So we're probably going to be here for the next few weeks more. That's funny because we only we originally booked this place for only three or four days. 
I remember the time when you used to slum it in hostels, and now you're demanding the best room in a hotel and giving it the big I am and going, don't you know who I am? World famous podcaster. Was probably in the Belgian press, not that we've managed to find any proof of it from three years ago. But don't you know who I am? I'm Logan motherfucking Saunders. <laughs> I am the BMF. I'm the BMF of this hotel. As I was saying before uh, before we started recording, I am... Um, I've had a very quiet week, mainly because I'm fully in like self isolation preemptively to uh, to not have to uh, not have to get COVID next week when I have to test before I go away, because as I realised when I was doing all the uh, the Belchior admin earlier, now that we actually have the uh, the premiere date, which we're going to talk about at the end of the episode, that there is a very real chance when we do the premiere, instead of where in the world is Logan Saunders, it's going to be where in the world is Michael Armstrong. We're not going to talk about that yet, because you know where I'm going, but... Mm -hmm. No spoilers on this podcast. We were probably going to have to talk about it next week, because, spoilers, next week is going to be a super short episode as a result of me going away. But, yeah, we're probably going to talk about it in the Belkia premiere now that that it's looking likely I'm going to have to record from a hotel room. Which isn't the end of the world, to be fair, but it's certainly a novel experience, not something I've had to do for, uh, for a couple of years. Yeah, one of my former co-workers, they post on their Instagram where it's now there's all these themed photos like show the your first picture of when you were that you took when you were in high school or show a picture of your pet. And now it's show the picture of the last time you used your passport. And then she posted a picture and had the timestamp of March 2020 on it. And I'm thinking, ooh, ooh, I feel better about myself now. <laughs> Also, the last time I used my passport, my last passport usage was when I went to Amsterdam for the failed Vidum finale for 2020. <laughs> and instead, I watched it with a friend of the podcast, Liam, in the cinema. Yeah, it's not the worst thing that's happened in Europe in the past couple of years. No, it really isn't. And it, in fact, weirdly, when when I was last away and there was a Belgia premiere, I did actually watch it from uh, from an airport in Texas. So I will be uh, I will be also watching the Belgia premiere, hopefully uh, outside of my home, which will be nice. 40, 48 more season premieres of Belgia. Maybe you'll watch a premiere from each of the other 48 states. That'll be nice. <laughs> but anyway, we're not here to talk about Belgia just yet. That'll be a very long episode at the end of March. We're here to talk about Albania. We're here to talk about Albania, yeah. <laughs> I'm very surprised we've not done any Albania in the past nine weeks, actually. For each podcast, when you release it, you're doing an Albania. I am. I was doing it as I was talking to you before we started recording. Um, did you enjoy this episode as much as I did? Yes. Uh, there's actually, usually with final three episodes and Venom, since they never do the reveal the same night, there isn't much room for speculation or much material to review it's more of just signing up for the final reveal the following week but this episode there's a couple of interesting things to talk about i have more notes than usual for a final three yeah i was thinking about this um about this last night before we obviously had the episode because traditionally our reunions for vidim are incredibly short i think our personal best if you can call it that for a vidim recording before editing is about 35 minutes and i'm expecting that probably next week but Finales do tend to be reasonably short for Vidim as well. We do tend to do a reasonably short finale because there is so much filler in a lot of these finale episodes. You tend to have two challenges and then a whole lot of recap of why certain people could be the mole. Then the final test and it ends with 
Rick or or, or Peter Yan or Angela or Carol going, V is the mole. Find out next week. But this one felt really stuffed, and we didn't even have the final three in front of Rick at the end, which is actually a nice change. Yeah, we didn't have, you're not, you're not the winner. You're not the mole. You're not the loser. You're not the host. You're not the camera operator. <laughs> yeah, I like how they have, we have three challenges. The final quiz segment was a lot shorter than usual. Usually it's like, or usually when I'm watching the final three and they're doing the final quiz, I'm thinking, well, that's uh, that's about eight minutes of my life I just saved by quickly scrolling through it. <laughs> Yeah, I did actually mean to tell you that you actually wouldn't be able to skip through much of this finale because traditionally I get a message off Logan going, yeah, I watched that in half the time because I can just cut through all the filler and you can just tell me what I missed. But um, this time, you really weren't able to skip through much. No, I think I only skipped about about two minutes maybe of the whole episode. Yeah, there was... There was yeah, because nothing is... It's essentially the filler that you see in the early Survivor finales. They can just skip through and think, okay, they, they're doing a 15-minute recap at the start. And then when they get down to the final two and they're at camp, not a whole lot is going on. <laughs> or Jeff Probst is on a jet ski for seven minutes to go to get back to the United States to read the votes. Here it was three challenges with some interesting dynamics, lots of hilarity from Kim, and then interesting insight from each of the final three as to what went on during the season. And there's your hour and two minutes. Usually Vidim is notorious for tons and tons of filler. I would say more so than any other competitive reality show I could think of except for maybe a two-hour Big Brother finale. When they have the final two, or they're just right before that final three eviction, everyone already knows who the final HOH is. There's a lot of substance to this episode. I know I've mentioned it earlier in the season, but do you think that they were looking towards Belgium with this finale? We've we've talked about this before, that some of the challenges were definitely inspired by the Belgia seasons. And I think the, the supermarket challenge is something that Jill DeCoster would definitely plan. I think the the house invasion challenge is definitely something that Jill DeCoster would plan. Like, that had Belgia written all over it, because it's very similar to the Pulp Fiction challenge from Vietnam. Yes, at the end of Vietnam, yes. That's true, yeah. So I think, that, I mean, people may say, oh, that's unoriginal to steal from a, a, a different franchise, but... If you're stealing from Belgia and then remixing it in a unique way, that's not a that's not a bad idea as a production crew. Now, traditionally, we would complain if you start stealing stuff from other franchises. But the thing is, if you're stealing it from a good franchise, I have no problem with that. If you look towards Belgium and go, actually, yeah, we can do better, that is exactly the tone you should be taking. And Gilles would not care. Imagine if if the next Belgium season, if they were to steal, say, the Final Four twist from China. That, that's, a, that's a twist you want to avoid at all costs. Yeah, and you know as well as I do, if we were then at the finale of that season, and Jill said to us, what do you think of the season? We would probably tell him the truth. You would do the typical British response. I would do the typical Canadian response. I, I, I pull out the Chief Clancy Wiggum card and I go, well, hmm. Well, um, well, 
I think there's a lot of things you can say about our love of Gilles de Costa, but I don't think we've ever actually lied to him with this sort of stuff. He knows when we don't like things. <laughs> I don't have a poker face. That's the problem. <laughs> Not when it comes to stuff that annoys me like that. If they did do a Final Four twist, then I think he genuinely would know that I did not like that. I don't think I'd be able to hide that from him. Press credentials revoked. (laughs) You're not getting your merchandise, I promised you last year. (laughs) So, on this season, seeing as though we've got on a yet again a Belgia tangent, on this season, previously the Final Four tried to cover the streets of Girocaster with rugs before answering quiz questions to remove shipping containers. After an afternoon at the beach to find scooters, they returned to Tirana for their penultimate test, one which sent Thomas home. And Rick tells us that everyone is in Tirana, the final destination city for this season. The pot is just over 13,000, but it could have been 58,000. I'm stopping on the the Rick speech there because he said that it could be 58,000. And up to the end of last episode, I had it at uh, 53,140, I think it was. So I was racking my brain to try and work out where the hell did you come up with 58,000. Oh, with the bonus from the premiere. I'm assuming the bonus from the premiere is the correct answer. But also, it's a bit weird to add it already. I'm not going to add it till the finale to my numbers, for obvious reasons. So it's a bit weird to add it already, I would say. Because if Arno was if Arno was the mole, it would be possible 58,000. Yeah, if Arno was the mole, they wouldn't get that 5,000 until next week anyway. I'm guessing you just factored it in because it's already gone? Yeah, I don't know. It's just weird. He also says it could be even lower if everyone is the mole. That is a huge reason for everyone to work hard this episode before the mole reveals their face at a mass ball and the game ends. And the episode title is Betragen, or To Lie or Cheat. Didn't he win Survivor 35? And we begin the episode proper with the finalists toasting with cocktails. Strong cocktails by the look of things, because I think at least two of them sort of recoil as soon as they sip the alcohol. I thought, I was thinking either it's a very strong drink or it's really sour because Frazia has a very classic recoil of, oh god, what did I just pour into my gullet? I think everyone did as well. Everyone really kind of recoiled as soon as he sipped his cocktail, which I'm assuming was a mojito. It looked like a mojito. Uh, I think Kim was in a trance, so it didn't affect her at all. She was in zen mode. She could have had five more shots of that drink and eh, she wouldn't have felt a thing. Everyone says that he's been very close with Frazier since episode one, so it is great to be in the finale with her. And Kim is also very fun and very out there and very spiritual. And then Rick meets them at the former home of Albania's dictator, who ruled from 1945 to 1984. He says the interior hasn't changed since 1984 and they have to look for money that is hidden inside. However, there is an alarm system... Each of them have three lives, and setting off an alarm will cost them a life. However, if a guard sees them, and a guard is summoned when the alarm goes off for the first time, then it is game over. If they lose all their lives, the money that they have collected will disappear as well. For a guy who was a dictator for 40 years, I I would expect a nicer house, personally. He didn't even have a basketball court. Have you ever been to any of those sort of museums? Uh, I went to the Ceausescu house in Romania a couple months ago, and he had a huge indoor swimming pool and a lot of lot of fancy lot of fancy architecture. He, each each uh, I think each room was a different theme because of the different foreign dignitaries would 
would ship over items and leave gifts. It reminded me a lot of the reunification palace in Ho Chi Minh City, because that has not changed since since the Americans left that. That has been basically left as a time capsule in the same way that this has. And that was super interesting, actually. I was surprised I didn't think to go there when I was in Albania or when I was in Tirana. Granted, I was there very briefly, but I'm thinking, man, there's a lot of beautiful places around Albania. I really need to make a return trip back there. I must admit, it did make me laugh when you posted on your story that um, you chose to go against everyone's votes and not go to Ukraine. Yeah, I went to Romania instead of Ukraine, and now I can't go to the Ukraine for the time being. Yep, it's a good lesson. I think it's a good life lesson for people in general, because I I was, I was, had a flight booked to Myanmar in April of 2020, and then the pandemic hit, and then the military junta retook the whole country, so now tourists aren't going back to Myanmar again. So it's a good lesson that if you don't... Uh, Take advantage of the opportunity when it initially presents itself. Uh, it could it could slip away for a longer period of time than you think. So either you got to be at peace with that, or you got to attack what you want a lot more in life. So Frazier volunteers to go in first. Kim and Avron are in a control room, which Kim describes as being like something out of a Scandinavian show, because of all the red string and pictures on the wall and everything like that. <laughs> It's going to be in like in BoJack Horseman when they have the Filbert TV show that they filmed during the season about it. It's about a detective and they have the red string and he's trying to link all the pictures of the people he knows together and he starts linking them up. He's like, hmm, I know Diane. I know Mr. Peanut Butter. What are they trying to plot? What do they have in common? And then he puts up a picture of the rapper Common on the wall and attaches it to the red string. So we, we missed out on that opportunity there to go full-on Filbert reference. Well, it's a known trope, the whole red string, detective losing the mind, that sort of stuff, isn't it? Yeah. What do they have in common? <laughs> so Frazier enters a room with a lift, which he's told contains money, but there are also two alarms in there. The money is in a copy of Pride and Prejudice, but she will need a key to open it. She sets off the alarm and starts running, which sets off a second alarm. However, she stumbles upon the key in the process and gets herself some money. And at the risk of sounding like someone who watches Hunted and moans about it on the internet, could the guards not just see the cameraman to see if they were in the room? Yeah, because were the camera operators moving throughout the house, or do they have cameras stationary and set up in one spot? I don't know, because they were they were often just pointing the camera straight at wherever the person was hiding. Unless they just had a lot of camera operators to trick the guards. But I'm, I wouldn't think it would be so dumb where it's, oh, there's the one camera operator, but I'm just going to ignore ignore the camera operator since I can't see the contestant. I presume that they could see the camera operator and they just ignored the camera operator. It was only if the contestant was actually visible to the guard that they would have got caught, I think. Yeah, I mean, if I was a guard guarding that museum i think i would have a pretty if i really wanted to catch somebody i could just have a guard just sprint through kick the doors open who the fuck is in my museum trying to break in i was planning to read pride and prejudice tomorrow who left the key on the toilet who threw away my bookmark i don't even remember what page i was on anymore somebody's gonna pay for this so she then grabs the money from under the phone in the room that she hid in 
and is told to leave the house. However, she sets off a third alarm and loses the 450 euros that she had collected. And Frazio's not going to earn much money in this episode. Now, it's a really interesting episode. I said this to you early because, jumping ahead slightly, Fraser is very much the top suspect of the Netherlands now. Fraser's on 44%, Averon's on 30%, Kim's on 26 I don't really suspect Fraser at all this week. And I think I think it's weird because there was a very obvious clue for Kim if it is her as the mole in this episode. But also, only one person suspected Kim. Which arguably means that even though we didn't see the you're not the winner, you're the loser, you're not the mole scene, we can pretty much rule out one role for each person already. Assuming that the episode is authentic to what we've seen. Because you can pretty much rule out that Frazier is the mole. Because it's either Kim or everyone, nobody else suspected Frazier. So you can pretty much rule her out of that because they wouldn't want to end a season with nobody suspecting the mole. So assuming that we've been told the truth there, Frazier cannot be the mole. Kim cannot be the winner because if it's Averon, then she said that Frazier would beat her because she knew all the personal questions. And it, if it's Frazier, then Averon's likely to win just because of all the questions pointed at a woman. And Averon cannot be the loser because he is either the mole, in which case both Kim and Frazier are correct and one of them will win. And if it's Kim, then he wins by default because Frazier didn't pick Kim. So you can pretty much rule out one role for each person already, even though we actually haven't seen the you're not the winner, you're not the loser, you're not the mole scene. Has the Dutch public ever picked somebody who's not suspected at Final 3 as the mole before? I don't know. I would have to go back and look through the uh, through the stats on that. Because that seems like a really dumb thing for a lot of people to do. For the majority of, or for almost, uh, what percentage is Frazier at amongst the Dutch public? 44%. Yeah, because we've, we've covered quite a few Venom seasons now, and I can't... I can't think of a time where at final three we had a huge we, the, the number one suspect was somebody who's not even picked on the final quiz of the whole game that's really odd and it's really odd that it's 44 percent that's not exactly vidim georgia where it was what 36 33 30 percent spread yeah they're they're all within like five percent of each other in uh, in georgia yeah, 44% is a pretty big jump. I think the reason that Frazier got so much suspicion a couple of weeks ago is because she still had the exemption at Final 5, so we knew that she was going to get through to Final 4. So a lot of people put their points in the pool on her, knowing that she was not going to go home and they wouldn't lose points. I don't know why she's on 44%, because I don't even think she was the most suspicious person this week. I would say that Kim was the most suspicious person this week. Yeah, it's, and it's just so difficult to get through a whole small. It's never happened before where no one picks them all at final three. I, I would love to see that happen just once. Just once I'd love to see uh, it happen and everyone react to the legacy of the season with a mole that was never caught or never unmasked. But I don't, I don't get the feeling it's going to be happening this time. Do you think that a season would go down in your estimation if nobody got the mole? It depends who the mole was. If this were to happen with Frazier, I think I could more than accept it because that's a brilliant strategy to just be very intense all season long, look like the biggest game player possible, sabotage every challenge at Final 3, and still not get caught. 
that would be pretty impressive because both Kim and everyone bring in money in what two of the three challenges they bring in money to the pot and Frazia not only brings nothing in for two challenges but had the absolute worst performance every single time. Yeah, Frazier, Frazier did pick up some money in the supermarket challenge. But she screwed up more than anyone else did, though. Yeah. I wonder whether Frazier was suspicious this week, or trying to be suspicious this week, just to try and throw whoever else isn't the mole off their tracks. Yeah, because she suspects Kim, right? No, she suspected everyone in the final test. Or oh, she suspects everyone, so she's trying to throw Kim off? Think, you know, maybe Kim would be the type to fall for it if I just have have the worst performance because it's happened before it happened in celebrity bowl yucatan where you had dennis rodman mark curry and angie everhart in the final three mark curry had been dead set on angie everhart as the mole which was correct from the very first episode so dennis rodman said oh crap mark curry's gonna win because he didn't even realize angie everhart was the mole until the final episode so rodman did the biggest sabotage as possible in the final episode and tricked mark curry into switching to suspecting Dennis Rodman as the mole at the very end, and Dennis Rodman won in the at the at the buzzer. <laughs> it's like shooting a three point shot from half court. <laughs> it's probably not going to land, but sometimes it does. And 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 in somebody mole Yucatan, it did. <laughs> I just think strategically, this episode is very very interesting because of the complete sort of cavern between the Dutch public suspicion our suspicion and what is actually portrayed on the episode in terms of suspicions. And what was interesting too, that we don't see too often is at the final quiz, Kim said, Kim is of course like everyone else this whole season, not suspecting Frazier as the mole and viewing Frazier as the biggest competition. She's thinking, Hmm, Frazier has attached herself to everyone for a really, really long time this season, perhaps since the beginning. Frazier sounds like she's been on to everyone since the first or second week. Frazier completed the quiz before everyone else did. Kim keeps thinking, hmm, Frazier has a huge advantage for me because her and everyone have been really close since the beginning of the game. So she has a lot more information to complete all of these quizzes that I just simply don't have. Frazier could very well score the very first 40 out of 40 if everyone turns out to be the mole. So that's interesting because we've that was a that was a strategy in the early days of the mole where where the eventual winner is on to the mole early on and make sure to always be in the mole's group and have an alliance with the mole and take everybody else out and just waltz to that easy win or only have one other real opponent in their alliance to have a face off with that final three. Yeah, I don't think it spoils too much to say that. Vidim went through a run where the person who won the season was essentially just the person closest to the mole. Because that's how you get all the information you want to be. If you're certain as to who the mole is, you want to be in a group with that person as many challenges as possible. Because the mole isn't just going to lie about every single detail about their personal lives. They have to answer, they're going to want to answer enough questions truthfully if it comes up on the quiz. That's probably mandatory by production that you can't just make up random details about yourself and like, oh, what what is the most astrological sign or what was their job before they were on the show? The mole's not going to lie about that. The advantage of being in an alliance with the mole and being in all the same groups as the mole as well is it puts off whoever you're in the finale with because they're answering questions 
potentially about them all, whereas they're actually answering them about you and not getting them really correct on the correct person. That's the other thing. They're gonna they're just gonna be skating by in the season and you can set up a lot of default wins that way too. That's a good point. And on top of that, they deliberately write the final test so that none of the questions can be about more than one person, I think. On the final quiz, yeah, they have to do that, yeah. Yeah, a, a lot of the questions in the final test are specifically about individual people rather than anything else. And on the final quiz, too, in the is it the same in the Belgian version? I'm trying to think off the top of my head that there's always many options for each of the 40 questions, right? It's not just three? I think this one was just three. It was just three across the board. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think Belgium does tend to do a complete option set just to really see if people know each other properly. But I think this one was just the answers that could relate to each person. Yeah, because I would like to see that more. Because I host, uh, as I said before, I hosted a mole game before. And even though both people were on the mole, the person who won the game scored less than either right around 50% or less than 50% and won. Because <laughs> the both both people who made it to final three were the two least competitive people possible who just happened to be on the same mole. So Averon enters second. He tries to use his memory from the control room to help find cash. He finds money hidden in a cabinet, and it's 130 euros. He's told there isn't an alarm in the room that he enters, but there is, and he decides to just start heading back towards the exit. Inside another room is 125 euros. He goes for one more, finding money in a book. He nearly gets caught by a security guard, but runs past him and out of the house with 405 euros. Kim then decides to crawl like a snake to avoid the censors. This was almost our banner this week. It was very Tobias Funke-like. All she needed to do was to cloak herself in the scent of the of the guard's cologne. If you had told me before this episode that Kim crawled like a snake to avoid motion sensors, I would have 100% believed you, because this is entirely within Kim's personality from what we've seen. And then I thought, man, that's the most ridiculous thing, other than the drunk museum heist in Belgia, South Africa. I was thinking, oh, that's the most... Ridiculous thing I've seen someone do sober in a challenge like this. And then she tops it by <laughs> by crawling on her back like a cat with a really itchy back. No, I think her slinking past the motion sensor later on is even funnier. When she's just crawling, pushing herself against the wall. Like, that is funnier, I think. It's, it, was, it was pure comedy gold. Yeah. This is the sort of challenge they need to do more frequently because it was very entertaining from everyone, including everyone who is a bit boring. It would have been funnier if her shirt was all tattered from the way she was crawling and just had like just have ten holes in her shirt and severe rug burn. Her skin's all all torn up too. Well, yeah. If this if this had come from like the eighties, there would have been a lot of shag pile carpet. She could have caused some static electricity there. It would have been quite dangerous for her potentially. That was the dictator's way to discourage people from burglarizing his residence. It's like a whodunit death. You just have to make sure that she hasn't been sprayed with benzene beforehand. Odorless <laughs> benzene. Wow. I miss Giles. So do I. Congratulations, Cam! 
Congratulations, Lindsay. <laughs> My brother, who does not watch reality TV anymore at all, he still references "Congratulations, Lindsay," and I bet you he can't even recall what the TV show was that he saw that on. Honestly. If my friends at Jam Presents hadn't done a podcast on Who Done It, I would have been very tempted to make that a historian's one because I loved Who Done It. It knew how ridiculous it was as a program, and it would just be me for an hour a week doing impressions of Giles because I love Gilbert Jackson so much. He's the best. What was funny thing from this challenge is when everyone, when he high steps over one of the censors, and Cam is legitimately angry and annoyed that he didn't use a stool. As if he broke some sort of etiquette, like, oh, don't you know when you're when you're sneaking into a dictator's house that you put the stool down to avoid the censors? You don't high step. Come on, everyone. Use the conveniently placed planks that we've put near the room. And then Kim and Frazier warn everyone about one of the alarm locations and everyone just blatantly trips it anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, he set off. Let's see. And then he was talking out loud to himself, which would have possibly led to being captured by one of the guards. And he was extremely loud when he ran out of the ran out of the house too. And oh yeah, we already talked about all three of them in the house. Oh yeah, Kim compares retrieving the money, like finding your Easter egg basket. Yeah, she finds two hundred and ten euros in a desk. Then Frazier describes her as a fanatic professional burglar. Then she finds more money hidden under a couch cushion, totaling 175 euros. And she enters a room slowly and outsmarts the motion sensor, and then finds another 180 euros hidden under a clock, and is told to get out of the house. I like how everyone and Frazier both have reasonable descriptions for their rooms. Kim's description for one of the rooms was, I'm in the room with the scary TV. Does it have vampire teeth on it? Uh, what's a scary TV? Is there an alien head on top of it that's mounted? What makes it scary? I also think it's very, very interesting that we know how much Frazier lost because there is a glimpse at one point of the map in the control room where they've stuck post-it notes on to say how much each person got in each room. But Frazier has one that says 220 and 230 euros to total 450 that she lost. And that's how I know the values of, of each room that Kim and Averon got here. But there were only two Euro signs not picked, and I think they total over 450 Euros. So I'm wondering whether the mole didn't collect all the money in one of the rooms, because they would have been completely unattended. It's what I would have done as a mole. Or whether there was just a big money one that they didn't end up picking up. Yeah, I would assume if I was the mole, I would just say, oh yeah, I collected some money and then left and then left say 100 or 200 euros behind underneath the underneath the couch cushion or knew which room to not really go into that had a lot of money there was 580 euros not seen in this challenge yeah that's a fair amount given how well they did during this challenge yeah Frazier picks up 450 everyone picks up 405 kim picks up 565 and then we move st- we move straight into the supermarket challenge because we have a whopping three challenges in this episode. Oh, there's something far more interesting um, at the end of this challenge first, which is the fact that Kim escapes with her money, giving them a total of 970 euros of 2,000 for the challenge. However, Frazier has a very interesting confessional here where she says that it brings the pot up to 14,010 euros. However, 
No, it doesn't. Brings it up to €14,210. Meaning that the pot slip that we've seen in the past few weeks is actually getting worse. This is the first time all season we've seen someone specifically say how much money is in the pot, and it be, you know, even more wrong than it was before. It's just a blatant discrepancy. Yeah, it's a blatant discrepancy. And I'm going to keep on it now every single time, because it's getting worse. It's been a €100 Euro discrepancy for a couple of weeks, and now it's 200 So I don't know whether the mole is siphoning off some money here. Interesting. And then, yeah, as you said, the second challenge does take place in a supermarket. Rick tells them that they will be shopping one at a time and finding items on a shopping list worth up to €2,000, and they will have 15 minutes to shop. They will have to be at the checkout within 15 minutes, because only then will they be safe. The lights turn off, and Rick tells them to beware of the shelf stackers. They can shoot when the contestants are nearby, but the contestants are not allowed to shoot back. It's the most fun you'll ever have being a stock person (laughs) in a supermarket. This is a very fun challenge, and as someone who has worked in a supermarket, this is exactly what you want to do to some of the arsehole regulars. You want to shoot them in the face with a laser gun. This is what would happen at the start of the pandemic. The lights are out and there's still people trying to smuggle 24 rolls of toilet paper out of the supermarket. It's 2020 all over again. Because I'm not exactly the smallest person in the world, I used to be the one who stood on the door at um, at like 10 to 4 on a, on a Sunday evening when we were closing at 4 and basically turned people away and go, no, why have you not planned better? You're not coming in and getting a full shot. You can start off. And this is exactly how I would want to turn people away. It's just like, you can do it, but also you've got to be at the checkout at four o'clock. And also, all of the people on the shop floor will shoot you with laser guns. If you get caught, <laughs> you're out. You can't buy it. Yeah, and you have to, and you have to still have to pay for it. Yeah, this would vastly improve Sunday trading laws. Just give everyone laser guns. You know what pissed me off when I was in Malta? Every Sunday, the big grocery stores are only open between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. That's just cruel. It's a Catholic country. What do you expect? I know. <laughs> but come on, four hours? Four hours in a country that's full of tourists? The UK is only six hours on a Sunday. Yeah, the six. Yeah, that's plenty of time. But four hours? To quote what I used to say to people on the door at, uh, at the supermarket I worked at, you should have planned your time better. Yeah. <laughs> You may as well just uh, stay closed on a Sunday. <laughs> you would not believe the amount of people for whom the world ends when they realise that, you know, they can't shop whenever they want on a Sunday. Well, yeah, on Sundays in at the pharmacy where I worked, the whole store was open for, we, we were only open for nine hours instead of 12 or 13 like we normally are during the week. And that already pissed enough people off as it is. <laughs> Christmas Eve was the other one as well. Christmas Eve used to always be the most fun one to stand on the door of because literally half an hour before we closed, I would be turning people away and going, well, no, you can't get a full Christmas shop right now. You can jog right up. Do you not realise that we have homes and families to go to? It's like when my brother used to work in the video store. They decided to be open on Christmas Day and he'd have customers come in and say, oh, it's terrible that they make you work on Christmas as they're renting their movie. And then my brother would say, well, if you didn't come in here on Christmas Day, the managers wouldn't even want us to be open because then they're not making any money. I'm only working Christmas Day because you're coming into this store on Christmas Day. 
Yeah, I, I, as you might have guessed, have absolutely zero sympathy for anyone who leaves it to the last minute on a day when they know stores are going to be closing early. Because I have been on the other side, and it's just like, no, <laughs> not a chance. <laughs> oh, um, I think the people who are at the who are at the elimination villa from this season, I think they were very upset to miss out on the two bottles of wine for the price of one at the supermarket for this challenge. This challenge, I think more than anything, just had personality. That's what I really liked about it, is the fact that it, that they just remembered it had to be fun. And that's something I think we can say about a lot of this season, to be fair, is the fact that they've remembered that being on the mole should be fun, and you should enjoy yourself. Yes, you should be a bit paranoid sometimes, but you should be able to have enough downtime and not have to particularly worry too much when you're on the mole. You should at least have fun with it. This season had quite a few fun challenges spread throughout, more so than usual by Vidim standards. Yeah, and it goes alongside the fact that there was no non-elimination, so everyone knew the consequences, and everyone didn't have to hope for safety necessarily, and they could just let go and enjoy themselves a little bit more, I think. I mean, this challenge, people were taking cover behind shopping carts to dodge laser shots. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, a shopping trolley is not going to defend you against a laser. As much as, obviously, Rick was like, oh yeah, you, you can only defend yourself with a uh, with a shopping trolley. Like, it's not going to help. At all. Yeah, have you ever seen those Black Friday sales? They're more used as a weapon rather than a shield. Yeah. It's basically supermarket sweep on crack. <laughs> yeah. This brand of beans, this company started up in 1987. Go find it for me. So Kim volunteers to go first. She finds the t-shirt that they need straight away. Everyone and Fraser are on the other side of the shutter and see a shelf stacker in L6. Tanoi starts talking about people from the season. Everyone then starts talking on the walkie-talkie and the shelf stacker, as a result, targets Kim, which is a potential mall action. She banks her t-shirts, but takes the spare one back just in case it is worth minus money, and then turns off the walkie-talkie as it's distracting her and attracting the shelf stackers. Can't shop and talk to you on the phone at the same time. I mean, that was 100% right for the mole to just basically scream on the uh, on the walkie-talkie constantly to help the shelf stackers find them. Whether it's Averon or Kim, because Kim did it later on as well, one of them is the mole, and one of them is 100% trying to attract attention using that tactic, I think. I think when uh, Frasia was shopping, Kim was screaming, Frasia, you're being too loud. I'm thinking, no, Kim, you're the one that's being too loud. You're the one screaming through the goddamn walkie-talkie. It's the obvious mole tactic, and one of them was using it actually as a mole, I think. There. So Kim needs 24 toilet rolls, but just picks up three packs of eight. Fraser and Averon tell her that there are no nappies on the list, but there are, and she remembers that there are, and she's shot just as she is about to get to the checkout. Averon is second up. He can grab the items that Kim left and take them to the checkout in her stead. I thought that was pretty forgiving for this challenge, that they could just take over the other person's shopping cart with the items already in it to put into the pot. I think it was, and I think it does speak to something we've touched upon this season before, in that they do seem quite generous this season. They seem to be letting people get away with a lot more than they would in previous seasons. But also, if you're taking over a supermarket, you don't really want to be putting stuff back and then having to reset between people. 
so I can see why they did this rule. The people who, who stock the shelves just want one, one day, one day of fun. <laughs> like, speaking from experience, it's the worst thing in the world having to put back stuff that's just been thrown everywhere, so I don't blame them for just saying, yeah, we're just going to leave the cart there, you can pick up whatever you want from it. My favorite thing to do is if somebody did that in the pharmacy, uh, I could just call somebody from one of the other departments and do it for me. It's like, I don't want to put this back. Someone else can do it. I'm too important. Don't you know who I am? Logan motherfucking Saunders, that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And Kim doesn't know what a mason jar is. No, do you know what a mason jar is? Uh... No, I do not know what a mason jar is. A mason jar is a moulded glass jar used in home canning to preserve food. So it's a glass jar. Yeah, it's just a regular, just what I call a jar. Everyone then shushes Kim and Frazier so he doesn't attract the attention of the sales stacker. He goes looking for Kim's cart, finds it and puts the items on the checkout, but Frazier spots that Kim chose kitchen roll rather than toilet paper. And that is also something that a roll would do, I think. Yes, and that came off very suspicious, thinking, hmm, she could have earned more money if she wanted to. Frazier tells Kim that she's just going to go and get all the items that they aren't sure of, because she remembers the list. And then Averon sprints back to the checkout to bank his items, and the girls compliment his ass. Yeah, that was a weird scene. I, I did not expect that in the finale. I haven't seen a compliment like that since Kathy Griffin. Going back to the generosity point, I think it's very generous of them to put a message over the tannoy saying, uh, finally, she needs to get back to the checkout. Yeah, you're, you're, you've, you've lost your kid. Your kid is waiting outside uh, outside checkout lane two. So then Fraser's the last to enter. She grabs the party mask straight away, along with the scooter, and Averon tells her off because she's attracting a lot of attention by running through the store. She gets surrounded by the shelf stackers around the cereal. And then we get the lovely story from Kim that she used to work in the sausage department of a supermarket. You see me eating and cutting sausage? I eat the sausage like this. And then we get a an overly and I would say somewhat inappropriate visual demonstration of Kim eating sausage. This is a family show, Kim Leanne. What are you doing? And for some reason, saying that Letitia likes the cheese department is what triggered the story. Apparently Kim's like, oh, I have a good story about a cheese department. I used to work in the sausage department. I was transferred away from the cheese department. I was way better handling sausage in my hands. Uh, so Frazier comes back with only eight toilet rolls and is corrected by Kim and Averon, and she's shot just before she gets back to the checkout. If she had 24, that would have been money. It would. Rick meets them afterwards and tells them they got six of 30 items for a total of 325 euros of 2,000 for the pot. There is clearly some sabotaging by the mole in this challenge. The fact that it was just 6 out of 30, even with the forgiving rules of overtaking somebody else's shopping cart. And, I mean, there were a lot of mistakes made. They were really loud on the walkie-talkies. Everyone was way too frantic. Everyone was having verbal conversations with the person at the checkout counter, which would attract even more attention. And the fact that they made mistakes on... Two of the six items that they ended up banking, right? Because the t-shirt got returned. They got kitchen rolls. And then they got eight rolls of toilet paper instead of 24. I think I think Kim sabotaged this challenge. Because she brought two t-shirts to the checkout. 
and then took one away. It's very easy for a mold to to take the right t-shirt away there. And she got the wrong toilet paper, which then meant that Frazier had to go back and get it and get herself caught as a result. She was very loud on the walkie-talkie. I think she was the most suspicious in this challenge. And then everyone was loudly shushing Kim and Frazier on the walkie-talkie while it was his turn too. His shushing was louder than Kim and Frazier's voices. Yeah. So I, it was very suspicious from everyone apart from Fraser, I think, this challenge. But the crazy thing is that Frazier was the only one who didn't bank any items, right? No, she got the scooter and the party mask. She got at least 150 euros. And what's her pot total? Uh, you're making me work for it now. 14,535 would have been the uh, total after this challenge. Not 14,335 like they showed on screen. Nope, 14535. And then who knows if they would have been deducted after Frazier suggested they have a midnight snack from the items that they bought. Well, there was the suggestion that they might have got deducted for wrong items, but I don't think they would have. I think it just wouldn't have counted. Yeah, I think that was... Who spread that? Who who originally said... Yeah, so Kim just made up that. So that could be another uh, mole action too, just saying, oh... We have to get it exactly right, otherwise money gets deducted from the pot, and then that could make Frazier and everyone really anxious and focus on details that don't need to be memorized. That was her excuse for taking the second t-shirt back, was that she didn't want to risk minus money. So the final challenge, given this episode is nice and efficient, takes place at the aptly named House of Leaves. It's a museum of espionage, but was formerly used by the Secret Service to put pressure on citizens during the communist times. They will be monitoring five people, only one of whom has the money for the pot. Once they think they know who it is, they can go outside and track them down. And they've got 45 minutes of spying time to decide who it is. Everyone takes the helpful information from Rick, on which it says Vistamol 1122. Inside the envelope are six sheets of paper with holes cut out. And they have to overlay these on Dutch text to read the words and get their instructions for the challenge. I like this challenge. I don't like... The consequence of this challenge, I'll say. I think taking money out of the pot, removing it, is quite cruel for the final challenge, especially when there's a 50-50 shot, I would say, that they're going to lose 5,000 euros out of the pot next week. (laughs) Yeah, it sort of puts a dampener on the end of the season if they go from 14,535 to 8,535 in the space of... 20 minutes of TV. Because that would make it the lowest pot ever, right? If they lose the 6,000? Yeah, the only pot that's ever been below 10,000 in a normal Vidum season is last year. And that was only just below 10,000. That'd be a crazy gut punch, because the 14,535 is the highest amount they've had since Oregon? Um, It's higher than China, definitely. I think China was abnormally high, actually. Georgia's the most recent one that's above that. Okay, so one season afterwards. <laughs> yeah, Georgia was seventeen seven fifty, including Ruben's two and a half thousand bonus. But yeah, this would be cruel if everyone turns out to be the mole and they lose six six thousand euros after the final challenge. <laughs> yeah, it would be ve- it'd be a, a gut punch for the season, I would say. And if that did happen, I would probably, I would probably not be particularly happy with production next week, just because. I think is a bit mean to set up your final challenge as being plus 2,000 or minus 1,000, and there'd be no middle ground. Yeah, I think 
I think what you have to do in a, well, they've done it in other seasons where you want to have a challenge that can be worth a lot more, not you're going to lose half of what you've earned <laughs> in this one last challenge after you worked so hard for the past 18 days. <laughs> the other element of it is the fact that it's the only time this season we've seen any minus money as well. We've not seen any red notes during the season until this point. Yeah, that's a bizarre thing too, that they go from being so forgiving every single challenge for, what, nine episodes? Maybe there's one challenge where they were somewhat mean to the contestants, and then the final challenge, they lose a thousand euros, and then a twist that happened on the very first day, and just comes back to haunt them 18 days later and takes away another 5,000. The only time they've lost any money in this season is it's the first challenge in episode seven. And that was the one where they where Rick ended up giving them like twenty five euros in the end, because that's all they could afford. Yeah, that's such a weird thing to do for a season that's been so fun for the most part. Yeah. So inside the envelope are these six sheets of paper. Frazier finds one which has the information of a bodyguard, someone who monitors and protects will be in espionage terms called a babysitter. Kim gets information which Explains the rest of the assignment, as well as a definition of a different type of spy. Someone who creates a fake passport and other documents is called a cobbler. Everyone gets the definition of a bridge agent, someone who functions as an intermediary between agents. Frazier gets a bird watcher, someone who watches everything closely. Everyone gets sleeper, someone who acts alone in a dangerous situation. The sheet that Kim found also tells them to identify the roles of the five people, then find their pictures, and then use a black light on the back of the pictures to spell out who has the money. And all five of them essentially just sit there and do nothing. There are, I would say, less than subtle clues as to who is what role. For example, the sleeper agent is the person who falls asleep. How would the sleeper agent guarantee they would fall asleep? Are they taking Sopaclone? Or do they suffer from narcolepsy? How do you know for sure they can reliably fall asleep during this challenge? I think it might be acting. Just pretend, pretend to be asleep. I think he's just playing make-believe. Well, if, if, if it's just pretending to be asleep, I wish the person would have done the most exaggerated snoring possible and have like not have night terrors in their sleep and start kicking and punching, start drooling on, from the sides of their chin. They didn't have any audio, so he could have just been absolutely snoring his head off, but we just didn't hear it. Start sleepwalking across the room. <laughs> the best thing would have been if the sleeper would have been the correct answer and then they'd gone to his house and woken him up. Yeah. Gets his gun. Oh, I was having a bad dream involving a KGB agent. Quick, come inside. They're after me. So yeah, they, they work out the deeply unsubtle clues, apart from Frazier, who doesn't understand why her woman is receiving a package as the courier until everyone and Kim explain it. And then they have to search the museum to find the pictures, which is more difficult than anticipated. Frazier finds the black light room and the pictures hanging up on a clothesline. And they didn't pay attention to any of the faces, so just pull all the pictures down. There is an obvious tactic as a contestant in this challenge. And that is, look at all the pictures, work out which pictures are the ones that spell out each of the names, and only take those pictures with you, if you're not sure. You only take the pictures that match up to the rules, cobbler, bird watcher, yeah. sleeper career you're looking for five things which is either babysitter cobbler bird watcher sleeper or bridge agent that's it 
I really miss that whole Snow White and the Five Spies. Although we do have Sleepy's brother, I guess, Sleeper. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as they get a picture that they know is correct with B.I. together on it, it's not going to be an anagram, it's going to spell it out. So you just go straight for the Birdwatcher at that point, because it's the only one with B.I. They were confident on the B.I. picture, and we saw them be confident on the B.I. picture, and then they still chose Bridge Agent. And then uh, Kim had an interesting confessional where she said, oh, we took down so many pictures and we had extra letters, so it was tougher to figure out a word within those letters. Feels like they just couldn't nail down a strategy or the mole intentionally not intended not to share the strategy or maybe no one wanted to help. Everyone wanted one last chance to look suspicious. Interestingly as well, we did see that they dropped the picture of the correct person. They dropped the Birdwatcher's picture on the floor. Oh, that's a mole action, I would assume. Yeah. Because it was the one picture that we saw had been dropped. They focused on it. Either the mole dropped it, and the other two people know who the mole is and decided not to say anything, or one of the contestants dropped it, and the mole didn't say anything. I think that the mole deliberately dropped it and hid it because it's the one person they need to find. Birdwatcher was the correct answer, and it was the Birdwatcher whose picture was dropped. That is not a coincidence. I wish the bird watch that we would have been able to see the bird watcher just throw out breadcrumbs in the middle of their living room and have a flock of pigeons inside. So they return to the blacklight room with not much time left to read the letters. They try and make a word and settle on bridge agents, even though that wasn't even the role. It was courier. And they head to her location, or at least try to. And they have no money or maps. Crazy managed to convince someone to use Google Maps and get directions for them. They arrive at the house and she opens the door. She hands the envelope over. And it contains minus a thousand euros for a total of minus a thousand of two thousand for the challenge, two hundred and ninety-five euros of six thousand for the episode, and thirteen thousand five hundred and thirty-five of fifty-nine thousand five hundred and forty for the season so far, plus two hundred and fifty that Kim has hoarded. Couldn't they just reject reject it afterwards and say, "Oh, there's minus money in here. Let's just flush it down the toilet," or say, "Oh, hand it back to the courier and say, oh, you touched it last.'" I'm not sure that's how it works. Although from a production point of view, with it being Vidum and them loving the physical cash, whenever they find minus money, Rick immediately demands the thousand euros or whatever back. There's no opportunity for Rick to take the money back. I guess it's better than opening an envelope full of anthrax. Well, yeah, most things are. There isn't a lot on Vidum that is worse than than opening an envelope full of anthrax. Maybe apart from being around your own. What was interesting in this challenge, too, is that when they were identifying who was who in the initial surveillance, everyone and Kim figured out who the people were that they, they had under surveillance. They, they found all their people before Frazier was able to identify one. They, she needed everyone and Kim's eyes on the screens to figure out who was who. That was quite interesting to see as well. That she just is trying to be as incompetent as possible in all three challenges. Yeah, I think she was deliberately trying to sabotage. Yeah. And then uh, no one had a sense of urgency in this challenge. It seemed like they were really taking their time. No one was frantic. I think that's quite emblematic of the season, to be fair, is the fact that nobody was really that arsed. Nobody was rushing. Nobody really minded. So Rick says that everyone has reached the end of the road now. For the mole, there are no more sabotages left, and for the candidates, no more challenges. Frazier thinks that Kim is also on Averon, so it will come down to knowledge, and she hopes that she will win. 
Averon says that he prepared and can remember everything. He didn't want to risk his mould being stolen during the season, so he has committed it all to memory. And now for the potential clue for Kim. Frazier has her notes, Kim has her tarot cards, and we see a close-up of everyone's Celtics jersey before they go down to the final quiz. And everyone, instead of putting on the Celtics jersey, he puts on a nice mustard shirt uh, buttoned up as if he is Dwight K. Schrute from The Office. The, the weird thing about this scene is Kim's tarot cards. Because did you notice the one that they focused on? Nope. So it's a card called All That Glitters, and it was a pile of coins sat on top of which was a Venetian mask. And that mask looks awfully like the one that the mole is wearing next week. Hmm. That's a pretty heavy coincidence if it is a coincidence. Yeah. It's literally the only thing that is kind of making me think her this week. In a vacuum, I think I probably would have gone over on for my number one suspect this week just to cover my bases so I can say I got the right mole at some point this season no matter what. But it's not. The problem I have is the fact that they quite heavily pointed to it being Kim if that is a clue. Kim is the mole. It's going to be very interesting to see how they justify it in the reunion show. It's going to be reliant on a pretty heavy explanation as to everything she did or what the overall strategy with having her be the mole or hide the money that everyone knew that she took. I said this a few weeks ago, but I would rather it wasn't Kim who was the mole, but I have a horrible feeling it probably is. That's what it boils down to, is I would rather that it wasn't her, but I think it probably is. So it's now time for the final test. 40 questions on the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows most will unmask the mole and take home the pot that currently stands at €13,535. And in another Belgia vibe, they do the final test together. I can't remember the last time I saw them all in the same room doing that final test. Yeah, they're typically sequestered from one another. It's good to see. I, I think the it's... Again, if you're going to take... You're going to steal an idea from another franchise. Best be an idea from Mr. Jill DaCosta. Yeah, I still think that they should go one step further and do the um, do the Belkia style reveal of the lights going off and the winner's light coming on and all that sort of stuff. But I'm not going to quibble on this too much. I'm not going to quibble on this too much. I, I'm perfectly happy with them just taking an element of it for now. So, Frazier says that she went into the laser game with Averon but went out early, unlike Averon who was in there for ages but got no money. Kim has been on Averon's radar since the face first drop. She hid the 250 euros. Kim saw Averon work hard with the statues but the eagle was dropped to try and lose money. In the exemption route, Frazier started looking at Averon differently. He told Thomas that he didn't trust him, even though the challenge was all about trusting each other. Averon says Kim enjoyed the photo challenge but she was the only one to get her photo wrong and cost the group money. Averon isn't a noticeable mole, the devil is in the details, but Averon and Thomas chose a container that Kim said it wasn't. In the end, Kim and Fraser are both on Averon, and Averon is on Kim. Rick does his individual speeches to them alone this time. Fraser is fanatical and very hasty in every assignment. She had nerves of steel to keep her exemption for so long, but was that just a cover for her as mole? She gets her invite to the unmasking, Averon has lived the game intensely, there were execution tears, anger when people messed around, and an endearing smile. But he could be responsible for a huge loss in the finale, if he's the mole. 
Kim travelled on intuition or foresight. Sometimes she was driven, and at other times she withheld money from the group. Is she a crafty candidate who led everyone astray, or a mole that sowed confusion? And we don't even see any of the mass ball, nor the V-is de mole moment. Merely a flashback to the start of the season, and the episode ends. I wish Rick would have, given that he was saying what each person did individually, he could have said, oh yeah, Frazier was fanatical and very intense. Everyone, you were a huge jerk to me all season. I'm letting you know that now that it's all over and done with. I never want to see you again. And Kim, you suck. What the hell was that with the crawling and the challenge and the tarot cards? Come on. No one no one believes that shit. And that is how Rick got fired from Widow. So next time, alongside a specially invited audience, the mole is finally unmasked. I'm guessing you still think it's Averon then. Yeah, everyone is still. He's has he been my top choice every week? He wasn't your top choice in week one, definitely. Yeah, I know because of Glenn. <laughs> so he has been your top suspect ever since week two, when Glenn went home. And during that week, everyone was my number two suspect. Yes, you've had everyone in your top suspects every single week. One lousy slot away from a perfect score if he's the mole. I also have to point out that in me being a gloaty bastard, um, I pretty much did the same thing with Lennart last year for uh, for Belgia. I was two off a perfect game with Lenny last year as Mole, and he was uh, he was in second spot for both of those weeks. So I get to one-up that, potentially. Yeah, potentially, if everyone is the Mole, which, sadly, thanks to that clue, I don't think he is. As our good friend Marika said last week, I would be pleasantly surprised if it's Frazier, I'd be reasonably happy if it's everyone apart from your incessant gloating next week. I fear that it's Kim. I am going with Kim this week purely because of the clue pointing to her. I've been waiting for, appropriately for someone like Kim, a sign of it being her. And I think we finally had the sign that it is her. I don't think I'm going to be very high on her as a mole if it is her, though. That is what I'll say now. And if it's Frazier... That would be a hell of an accomplishment to sabotage each of the final three challenges in the final three and still not have anyone change to her as their prime suspect and go undetected from start to finish. I mean, because in retrospect, if she's the mole, there's going to be a lot of signs that she was, not to mention the fact that she was very brave in carrying that exemption all the way to the final five and not seem phased in the least about going home. Oh, definitely. So, in Pooled and First Suspicions, obviously there's no changes with nobody uh, nobody being excluded. And as I said earlier, Frazier is on 44%, plus 8 from last week. Averon is on 30%, minus 2. And Kim on 26%, minus 6 in the Netherlands Suspicions. You can do the suspect list on Bothers Bar each week, run by the wonderful Daniel Peak at the link in our description. If you've not used your yoker to double your points yet, this is the final week, don't forget to do it. Now, as we said at the start of the episode, we do have a bit of Belgian news. We're recording this on Monday evening, and um, eight hours ago to the pretty much the minute now, um, we did get our start dates for Belgian Canary Islands, which is March 20th. All being well, we will be releasing our podcasts every Thursday from the best day of the year, March 24th, and you better have a present for me, Saunders, because it is my birthday. I say all being well, because 
I am away that week. I'm away until the 22nd, which means that there is a non-zero chance the premiere will be delayed. Obviously, preferably it won't be, and I will work my arse off to edit it quickly enough to mean that we still meet the Thursday time limit. But as long as we get the subtitles early enough and as long as we record before I fly home, I don't see there being too much of a problem with that, hopefully. If the subtitles are super late, then it may be slightly delayed on the release, but obviously we'll keep you posted on social media if it is. The trailer didn't really give us much information, it just seemed to be a creepy composite of all nine previous mole's faces, probably with a hidden bit of the tenth mole in there somewhere. And the news everyone is waiting for, obviously, first suspicions will return, more on that once the premiere's aired, as will our predictions pool and Mr. Saunders trying to win for the first time in three years. <laughs> Not that I'm gloating at all, but I totally am. Just gonna win once. <laughs> I mean, I did technically steal a leaner off you, so it was kind of a shared win, that one. But you haven't won a Belkia pool since 2019. <laughs> that was Vietnam. Yeah, I just wanted to point that out in case you do end up winning with Averon and being insufferable next week. That this would be the first pool that you have won since Renaissance. And you haven't won a Belkia pool in three years. Awesome. Have you got anything else you want to say? I'm happy that we are podcasting about the Mulbelkia instead of Celebrity Big Brother 3. I'm glad we picked the right season to talk about. Yeah, I've been reading some stories about um, Celebrity Big Brother 3 and um, dodged a bullet, I think is the term. We dodged a right hand followed by a left hook. So, thank you for listening to our Vista Mole 2022 recap. We'll be back next week to conclude the hunt for the nearest mole in Albania. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at LogSuperQuacky, and I'm MJ Harmstone. Thank you as always to Marika for the subtitles. We'll see you next week for the final time this season to discover who the mole actually is. Peace out and just chill to the final of flavoring. You nearly forgot it was the final one. <laughs> the finale. Of the finale. <laughs> Congratulations, Lindsay! <laughs>